and welcome to the Plus One to Hit podcast. My name's James, I'm blind, and I'm your host. We're a disability and inclusivity positive podcast that focuses on games workshops, Warhammer 40,000, Necromunda, Inquisitor, and Age of Sigmar games. Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Plus One to Hit podcast. We've got a pretty straightforward episode for you today. Those of you who've been listening for a while will be familiar with the New Scummers Necromunda section, which we collaborated with Sun City Radio and the Dome Runners podcasts on. I've got Dan Beresford from the Sun City Radio crew joining me today to talk about some changes he's made to his gang. So without giving too much away, let's go straight to it. So I'm joined by Dan Beresford. How you doing, mate? Not too bad. How are you, James? Yeah, not too bad, mate. It's, uh, you know, weather's getting better. It's lighter. Not that that makes any difference to me, but at least it's lighter and everybody else seems happier at the moment. At least the weather's better down south, mate. It's horrible here. It hasn't been great down here. Oh, <laughs> For the honest with you, it's not been wonderful. Well, the other day, the uh, it was so windy and rainy um, that on the top floor of our house, um, where we sort of sleep, the dog was up there with us, and she the tabs went down. She bricked to send basically and legged it downstairs and wouldn't come back upstairs. Oh, bless her. Yeah, so not bless a happy her. time for the pups. So we're doing a bit of a special here because obviously, as listeners will remember, we're doing a new scummer section all about starting new gangs in Necromunda and things like that. Now, obviously, you were part of that from the Sun City Radio crew. I was. But you've had a bit of a change of heart. So what's the crack? Less change of heart, more of a um, set off from the starting blocks and then fell flat on my face. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So basically, um, anybody that listened to the the original segment will remember that, uh, or may remember, um, that I was intending on bringing Ashwaste Nomads um, into this uh, new scummers using the Kill Team Crew models, the Bar Stalkers, I think they're called. Um, basically as like nomad proxies I wanted to go with the whole um, like camouflage masters in the ash and all that kind of thing and the nomad rules kind of seemed to, to fit that um, but I built the gang I started converting them and I, you know, I've, I've put them together I've not finished converting them or paint, painted them yet but uh, they got to a point where they could be used on the table I started using them and it didn't really go very well um I've played a couple of games with them. I won one, drew one. They, they, they didn't hook me. Like when I when I first started in Necromunda, I played Goliath, and they hooked me straight away. I tried a campaign with Orlocks, and you know, just to give them a try, because the House of Iron Book had just come out, and I instantly felt, you know, tied to that gang as well. So they're my like second favorite gang. Tried the uh, the Nomads, no. I just, I don't know what it is. Um, I think they are either too new of a gang, or I don't think enough people are sort of have settled into the Ash Wastes um, rules yet. Mm. But the Nomads in Zone Mortalis and Sector Mechanicus, they seem very restricted, shall we say, in what they can do. I mean, right. they can be powerful. Like I say, I've won a game with them, and you know they're weapon access is fantastic 
Um, their leaders are pretty decent. Um, they're not like, I mean, they're not like Goliath in combat, but they, you know, they get things done. Um, the mono hook, for example, is an amazing close combat weapon. Every time I've gotten my uh, my champion who has it into combat, he's pretty much just one-shotted whoever he's been against. Yeah. Because that thing is brutal. It's I think it's damage two and pulverize. So like, you've got you know the uh, the extra damage that it causes. Plus with pulverize, you can bump up one of your um, you know with with decent rolls, you can bump up one of your flesh wounds to a, a seriously injured, which allows you to to do a coup de gras. Yeah. So it's pretty much a if you need to put something down, that weapon will do it. But, you know, I've not been able to try the uh, Stormcaller because you can't really use mounts indoors. So that's their special champion not being available to me. Um, I've not been able to use the Helamites, uh, the, the Dustback Helamite Riders, their yeah. prospects, because again, they're mounted, so you can't use them indoors. I mean, we have played a couple of games in our gaming group using mounts indoors, and they can be hilarious, but they don't always work very well, yeah. shall we say. They can sort of bump into walls, knock themselves over, hurt themselves really easy, that kind yeah. of thing. So, it's... so I mean, you're kind of limited, basically, in indoor games to what's in the gang box or what you can build from the gang box the leader the champion the ganger and the juve so there's like you know they lose a lot of their flavor unfortunately um, so do you reckon um obviously you were just saying there about you can't take the mounts or anything indoors or anything do you think it might be a slightly different ball game out in the ash wastes oh god if yeah. you were using the same gang yeah, Which is I mean, what opens it all up, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you you, you look at their um, their unique um, skill list, and you can look at their tactics cards, and a lot of that is geared heavily towards um, skirting around the battlefield conditions that are in place in the Ashways, you know, like all that kind of thing. And you know, they can be, to me, I think the only, the, the real sort of thing that the nomads are missing at the minute is a vehicle equivalent big bug. If they had that, they'd be great. I know a few people have said in the Sun City Radio chat, and I certainly have got the same picture in my head in the Starship Troopers movie where they've yes. got that huge bug. Big that tanker bug. Yes. That'd be so cool. I mean, Something like that would be amazing. As uh, I know that, um, that there's a few people that have been running them saying that the um, the, uh, the Doom Scuttler, their brute, is cred for cred probably the best brute in the game and having been on the receiving end of it I can absolutely see where they're coming from it really? is a very powerful very powerful brute it is yeah for its for its creds cost it's amazingly good and obviously you can boost it with one of their hanger-ons that can you know um, use downtime to um, to give it extra XP to train it up so you, yeah. can, you know you're pushing that brute with extra abilities and skills and stat boosts and things like that so it can be you know an absolute beast well i certainly don't look forward to meeting one. Oh, i've been on the receiving end of it and it's it chewed my goliath to pieces oh dear. i was like oh oh this is what this thing does <laughs> yes and your goliaths having played them myself are not that easy to put down i mean i try I mean, this, for me, it's all about thematic gangs. You know, it's like people yeah. will say, you know, oh, this weapon's not very good, or this fight is a bit crap, and I'm like, I don't care. It looks cool. It fits the theme. I'll take it anyway. As I've found with the um, with the new gang that I've replaced, shall we say, 
the uh, the nomads with. Um, there's some choices that they have access to that don't seem to be all that great, but so far, I've, in my experience, they've been amazing. Really, you know, I've I've loved it. So, go anyway, on then. Go get a little on, bit then. ahead of myself. What, what is know. it? What is it? What have you done? So we now know why you've ditched your yes, ditched your nomads. So the big reveal. What are you actually replacing that with? The croup mads, as we've called them, have mm. uh, have returned to their war sphere. And uh, I found religion, oh, <laughs> and not the crab you? religion. <laughs> right. Although, although the uh, the cult of the underhive crab will be back at some point, I can promise Excellent. you that much. So I have decided that I was going to try um, redemptionists as a gang. However, not the whole fire and flames and zeal and all that kind of thing. Repent your sins, unbeliever. The Emperor's light guides my hand, and I rejoice, for he is with me. Because I am not a fan of the models. I have been a big fan of the Redemption since uh, the Inquisitor with uh, Devotee Malekin. Love that model, love his artwork, love his theme. But the new Redemptionist models, they great, they're amazing if that's what you love. But you know, that they are some fantastic models and I do own a box of them for conversion purposes, but not my not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um so basically last just before Christmas there was a, a Dark Uprising campaign that was being run at Warhammer World and I decided that I would try chaos themed redemptionists, but with my own little twist. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, I got like two games into that campaign, and due to my work commitments and, and shift shift rotor, I had to drop out. Which is, you know, it's unfortunate. But I couldn't get games in. There was just yeah. the times they were meeting, I was always working, so it didn't seem fair to you know to slow their campaign down by you know trying to get them to, to fit me in. So I just took a step back. So I decided. Um, Tom Allen, who is a very good friend of mine and one of my Necromunda OGs, decided that he was going to have a go at running a, another Dark Uprising campaign with our local group, with High uh, Steve and a bunch of others. It was like, Dark Uprising again, I'm going to have to break the Redemptionists out. It was just, it was too good of a, of a situation to not break out the Chaos Gang, shall we say. Awesome. So, before I took a redemptionist gang with a using chaos proxy models, this time Tom discussed it with me and said, "Yes, you can keep a path of faith and still use the chaos corruption rules from the Book of Ruin, but if you're going to go with a path of faith, you need to make a custom one." And I'm not sure if you've read the uh, the Cordor um, book, Household book. Oh, but, I've got it, but I haven't actually read read well, it through yet. Essentially, there's a bunch of paths of faith, and they've each got, I think it's six uh, articles of faith in each one, which is like, they're essentially like, not really psychic powers, but they're more like, um, you have, if, if you remember the old Warhammer Fantasy Battle way of doing things, each magic spell in that had a threshold that you had to hit, and yeah. you chose the amount of dice out of your magic pool, or in the case of the Cordor guys, the faith pool, to throw at this, to, uh, 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 giving you a chance of beating this number. Yeah. Um, um, if you beat the number, the, faith, the, the article of faith goes off. If you don't beat the number, you get a downside. So something horrible happens to your guy. Um, 
But if you want to do custom ones, you can do. And what that allows you to do is pick particular articles of faith from all the different paths and combine them into a custom faith path. But you only get four articles rather than the full six. Uh, right, okay, so it's all it's giving you a benefit and uh, um, yes, and a restriction in a way. Yes, so yeah. the, there's plus the each individual article of faith has its pros and cons to uh, to yeah. give it a go. So I uh, I looked over it and I, I was like picking the ones that made that, that suited my theme, and that seemed to help me determine the the look of the gang and the the, the narrative theme that the gang was going to go. The way that House Corridors book works is there are two different for those unfamiliar who've never looked at the book before there are two different styles of gang that you can build with the corridor book there are pious gangs and zealot gangs and the way that this works is house corridor are pious so they're faithful but they're not mental shall we say whereas the zealot um, models or the the zealot fighters are redemptionists and depending on how you build your gang if you have more pious models than zealot models you are a law-abiding gang and if you take more zealot models than pious models you are uh, an outlaw gang so obviously that limits your restrictions on um hangers on weapon access that kind of thing so like you're going to the um going to the trading post going to the black market stuff like that um so I decided, with it being chaos, that I was going to go full redemption as much as I possibly could. I think I've got three. I started the campaign that we've been playing with three pious models in the gang out of a a gang of 11. Right. And uh, one of them died in the first game I played. Right. So now I only have two pious models in my gang. And the only reason that I went for those is because the first one is a firebrand who has... Uh, who is like a, a Cordor champion, pious champion, and the only reason I picked him is because he was the only model in the uh, in the list that I could take alongside the Redemptionist guys that had access to the Great Sword, and I just love the love idea the of some. Sword. Yeah, I, I just love the idea of some sort of trash boy running around with some scrap armor he's found in a, a shield made of twigs or whatever, and then <laughs> a giant length of rusty metal that he, he thinks, you know, walking around like he thinks he's some sort of knight of old or, a, you know, modeling himself on like a statue he saw somewhere of like, I don't know, Rebute Gilliman or something like that. Yeah. You know, just some idiot that thinks he's a knight. <laughs> and I just loved that idea, so I had to include one of those, I think, Mike. With them being Zealot Gangs. Um, they, or with it being a zealot gang, they are outlaws and therefore they can't have rope docks. So basically, ah. I decided that if I can't take a rope dock, you know, I might as well just throw myself completely into the zealot aspect of things and go, you know, if I'm going to be an outlaw, let's do it properly. You know, let's let's just be bad guys. Let's not pussyfoot around. Let's just dial it up to eleven, shall we say? Yeah. So I have got guys with chain axes i've got eviscerators everywhere every oh zealot God. that i ha- yeah every zealot that i've recruited into the gang has either got an eviscerator or some ridiculously huge axe or something like that because i just all of the the juve equivalents you just throw them at people and just yeah. you know if they die they die yeah. like for example the 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 juve that the one of my 
bone pickers, the Cordor Juve that I lost in the first thing. It's like the rogue doc fees to uh, to save him, shall we say, would have been I think it's two d six times ten credits. Mm-hmm. So anything up to what you know, hundred odd credits. Yeah, they're only worth twenty credits to hire a new one. So. You know, I'd, the fact that I fodder, exactly the fact that I got to take him to the road dock in the first place means that I get to keep what little you know pointy stick he'd got, <laughs> or you know, d- d- you know, rusty piece of metal or holy carrier bag. I don't know that he was using to throttle people with. You know, I get to keep all that. That goes directly into my stash. So screw him, let him die, and I'll just hire a new one. Yeah. <laughs> so Brilliant. that's very much the way that chaos calls would do it. So why the hell not? I kind of decided to lean away from the pious side of things because pious corridor gangs get access to blunder poles or pole arm blunderbuss is the full term for it and the explosive crossbows and you know things like that and having had my gangs handed to me on a platter by those by corridor gangs with blunder poles and explosive crossbows on many occasions I decided can a corridor gang exist without them and so far, I can, I'm can i happy to let you know that through the multiple games I've had in the campaign, yes, they absolutely can. Um, the Redemptionists have had kind of a, an interesting 50-50 kind of look um, in, this, uh, in this campaign so far. For example, first game I played against Enforcers, my um, Redemptor Priest which I am representing with one of the Chaos Cultist Torments. You know, the big mutated guys with wings. Um, He got stunned by a concussion carbine, and then a juve ran in and slapped the handcuffs on him. And that was it. He couldn't do anything for the rest of the game. So this giant demon is just running around, bumping into the walls with the handcuffs tying him down. You can't make it up. They're what make such memorable moments in games, though, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Going off on a slightly unrelated tangent. Because uh, we there was three of us uh, that had that didn't do so well in the first week, shall we say, of the campaign. Uh, the arbitrator decided that we'd have a little um, sort of mini-game, shall we say, to try and boost us gangs a little bit. And it's called, it's in the Book of Ruin, I believe it's called Fresh Meat. And the scenario, the gist of the scenario is you take three juves into a fight they are all unarmed they don't have any weapons and they are there are six loot boxes on the board that players take turns in putting down and each one has a random weapon in it and the idea yeah. is to basically get your guys to these loot boxes loot a random weapon and then try not to die for the rest of the game and whoever ends up with guys still on the table at the end of it sells the weapons and gets the money for it but um cool Tom, being an excellent arbitrator, decided that we'd go in with these Jews and any that didn't get a permanent serious injury, sort of thing, like a, a lasting injury on the on the D66 table, we could keep and add them to our gang. We didn't get any That's gear awesome. or, or any of the weapons, but I did end up, um, I, I did end that game with an extra Jew and an extra ganger for my trouble. And um, the reason why it was so hilarious, I these guys, my, my redemptionist, did win this this game. It was a three-player game, and, and my guys were the last guys on the table. And one of my juves ran to one of the boxes, 
and then one of Tom's Van Sar come running in, stole the weapon out of the box that he was right next to, and managed to get this sword out of there. So my activation next, I was like, oh, that's mine, charged him. Whiffed all my attacks, because I was unarmed, obviously. He did his reaction attacks, whiffed all of them. And then the next turn, my juve throttled his ganger to death and stole the sword. This is so good. <laughs> just killed him with his bare hands and then stole the sword. And we were just, we were rolling. Yeah, but it's, anyway. It's, I love stuff like that. It's brilliant. Oh, it's, it's the best part of Necromunda. Like the time that Gareth managed to throw one of his uh, ju- Escher jubes off the top of a building for like seven inches down, land on top of Tom's deacon and kill him outright through fall damage. Just, you, you can't make this is the reason why Necromunda is the best game that Games Workshop's ever made so in terms of um, you've mentioned there that your uh, one of your models is based on the um, the Torment on the Torment yeah so in terms of how your gang's looking uh, aesthetically what are you going for here is it a real miss and mash of, um, of chaosy stuff or oh yeah oh yeah absolutely Absolutely, mate. I have gone for. I've basically over the years. I've always been a chaos man. Um, you know, ever since I picked first picked a war my forty k in like two thousand um, third edition. Yeah, back with all the snap fit models and monopose guys and all that sort of stuff. All of the space so, yeah. marines standing there like that. Oh yeah, yeah. on the uh, on on the um, goblin green bases with the uh, with a green flock stuck to the top of them. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes, I remember those third edition boxes. They looked awful, but at the time they were the best thing ever. They were. But yeah, um, wasn't that so... the edition where you had like a, a, a cardboard uh, orc dreadnought that you, you pushed into the slot base? Yes, was, I think like, it, it was might like have been. Was it was a picture of a dreadnought, and on one side yeah. of the front of it, and the, the back side of it was the real sure was... I'm not sure if that was second edition. Honestly, I'm not hundred percent sure, but. Uh... It's been it's been so long. While I think about it, one thing that the listeners, if they might not be aware of this, need to know is that the original Rogue Trader rulebook, the original first edition of Warhammer 40,000, has been reprinted and is on the shelves for sale in Warhammer World, along with the Warhammer Fantasy Slaves to Darkness books. And I am so oh. tempted to pick up the Rogue Trader book and just play first edition 40k. That just sounds so nuts. Well, that's oh, what got me into it. It was um, the full version of 40k that I started playing when I was 13 was the very end of second edition and obviously going into third. But um, the older brother of my friend who taught us how to play, he primarily played first edition and he did for many, many, many years. Uh, so I have very fond memories of that. Oh, it's just like the the hardback rule book. Yeah. Beautifully recreated artwork from the original. It's it's a stunning, stunning book, and uh, I, I'm gonna have to pick one up. I'm gonna. Nice. It, it's on all the uh, Warhammer World only special edition shelves, just inside the yeah. door, and it's just it's beautiful. So anyway, tangents aside. <laughs> so yeah, um, the the aesthetic of the gang is I've collected the Blackstone Fortress cultists i've collected the new chaos cultist models that came out last year i've got the world eater jackals the blooded from kill team uh the old um was it dark imperium was it that came with the push fit cultists and the the uh, guy with us yeah, in the, it was, yeah 
with a, with a tainted commissar with the the shotgun and the and the rusty blade, and then there was the guy with a weird claw and the uh, and the was it some sort of mechanicus axe or something like that? Anyway, but yeah, I've got all of those guys, and then I've cobbled together a few of the um, Warcry warbands, some of the models from the Warcry warbands to uh, hit bash um, whatever I needed to build the gang. Um, it's one of the things I love about playing in campaigns in Necromunda. For, for anybody who hasn't, I thoroughly recommend it, especially if you're into kit bashing, because you know you'll you'll earn your credits or your uh, you'll you'll get like extra recruits mid campaign, and then you're like, oh, oh, what can I afford to buy for this guy? And it's like you're not buying them gear that you want to give them. Um, what like you would when you were creating your gank? It's like what have I what have I got the creds to afford? Yeah. So you can you can end up with models that you wouldn't normally have ideally gone for. So you've got like the you think oh before my next game next week I'm gonna have to kick bash this model up, and it just gives you yeah. something to to do something a little bit different with. So yeah, I've I've gone for a very much a a mix of old and new chaos models to create something. That looks chaos culty, but at the same time, people can be like, can look at them and go, "Yeah, okay, cool. I can believe those as uh, as chaos tainted redemptionists." I think the jackal kit as well. Um, jackal the, kit's amazing. Yeah, it, I'm quite tempted by that. I I thoroughly recommend it because what what I don't think Games Workshop have shown off so far. Um, on the artwork for it is you know the big guy he's not the squad leader he's like the brute out of the squad he's like the size yeah. of an Astartes on all the box art he's got like this I think he's got a sword in one hand and then he's got like a chain wrapped around his arm with like a big um, like flail on the end of it like a big like spiky ball Yeah. what the artwork and the box art and stuff and the photographs don't show off is that he also has an, uh, an alternative loadout and it's basically he's yeah, his arms end just below the elbow, and they're replaced with two massive chainsaws. No, that's it. I'm buying it. I'm buying oh, it. mate, it's <laughs> oh, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. Um, I'm tempted to get another box just to build him because um, tying back into our seek and destroy games, I was actually um, going to use him as a basis to make a. Uh, uh, a model of Sverna McCarran, my Space Shark Scout. Oh, that'd be cool. Because... You know what? That's remind- Have you ever read any of the Soul Drinker books? No. There was, a, a, there was a sergeant in there called Sergeant Talos, and they, they, they didn't really turn, but they were excommunicate traitorists, yeah. even though they weren't really traitors. Anyway, um, they were corrupted slightly. And he, what you just described, his his arms ending just under the elbows, and then just the chain swords. He actually, um, he he drove the blades into his own stumps, and then went on a rampage because because his forearms grew grew around the ends of the ends that were connected, and that's awesome. how he used to fight. And there's just a, an amazing scene where he gets dropped into the middle of a of a horde of um, gaunts. <laughs> um, I just How does that sound it. familiar? Yeah, mm, I can't imagine why. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, that would be so cool for your um, Macaron character. That'd be wicked. I'm gonna figure out some way to make his uh, his hammerhead shark um, themed um, scout night vision optics. 
Mm. That that is the only thing holding me back from making that model at the moment. But I'll get there. I'll figure something out. Cause, you know, if if done wrong, you'd end up looking really goofy. But anyway, yeah, yeah, we've gone on tangents again, haven't we? <laughs> it's a problem. This is what happens when teammates start chatting and stuff. Well, that's it? it. It doesn't help. It doesn't help that I'm like ADHD as hell. So like tangents are what I do. <laughs> But yeah, where were we? Uh, so, we, so you said about your your sort of modelling choices and kit yes. bashes and things like that, and models you're using. So, what sort of colour scheme are you going for? Are you going for something quite vibrant, quite dark? Well, the the colour scheme I've gone for matches in with their background, which I'll get to after this. I've started learning slap chop, so the, the idea of priming your models black. Um, and then dry brushing a layer of grey over them and then dry brushing a lighter layer of white over that before attacking them with your base paints and, and uh, contrasts and stuff like that. Um, hmm. So what I've gone for is sort of a Baylor brown base for their robes, um, which it says it's brown, but it's not. It's more like a mustard yellow. Um, and oh. if you wash it with seraphim sepia, which I do, it makes it look like a really dark yellow, um, over which I've used dawn yellow, which is a very light um, highlighting colour, to basically do like um, cloth effect, cross-hatching yeah. highlights on the robes to bring the models back up again, and then one an- another wash of seraphim sepia to tie it all together. Um, for the flesh tones, because obviously the Chaos Cultists got a lot of bare flesh on them, which is another one of the reasons why I went for that gang, because my, up until I started this gang, my flesh work was rubbish. So I've really threw myself into learning how to paint flesh properly. Um, And I studied a lot of YouTube tutorials and things like that, and I've gone for sort of like a demonic, I think, what Games Workshop call it a demonic flesh. They use it on their obliterators and yeah, uh, some of the other the demon engines that they've got, but it's like a a deep sort of a, a deep reddish color in the uh, in the recesses, and then a really light pale highlight, um, and then yeah. you use sort of like various different red and purple inks to make it look bruised, and I'm yeah. I'm really happy with that. Um, I, it's one of the things that I'm pleased with about the uh, the scheme I've gone for, um, and then for the metallics, I've used um, like a brass or a like a brownie metal colour which yeah. top of which I've used either nylac oxide to make it look um, like verdigris effects yeah. or dirty down verdigris which both of them give a really nice verdigris effect but it depends like the, the dirty down stuff is a lot darker than the yeah. Games Workshop nylac oxide so the the G-Dub stuff looks oxidized whereas the dirty down stuff looks like old and like it's been out in the uh, in the in the elements for a lot longer some of the models get the the darker look some of the models get the lighter look again they all still tie in together quite cohesive isn't it but that i'd imagine they all look really individual but you still got that sort of cohesive feel yes. they're all like part of a following kind of, kind yeah. of feel yeah um so out of interest, how are you doing your bases? Are you going just the standard um, Mortalis or? So I've done a mix of normal plastic bases that you get with the, uh, I think the Jackals and the Blooded come with just a plain flat um, black bases that have got that slight texture to them. 
Um, I've used those, I've used some of the Zone Mortalis bases, and some of them are on uh, Sector Imperialis bases, and I've just started adding in the boarding actions uh, bases that came out recently for 40k. So I've basically right, okay. I've done a, a mix of all the different ones, but because obviously that can make it look a bit here and everywhere, um, I've used um, a, a any metallics that's visible on the board or on, on the bases, any sort of like metal plating or anything like that has all been painted up like normal metal. Some of it's been given hazard stripes, and then all of it's been given a wash of dirty down rust. So again, it pulls it back into that kind yes. of business, doesn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. And then over that, I've used patches of astrogranite um, with a highlight of... Initially, I started using the Underhive Ash uh, dry brush paint, but that is a very sort of like light yellow colour. But I've realised... Well, I started to figure out after I started applying the dry brush that Dawn Yellow is the same colour, but it's a layer paint. And it takes a lot less work and it does a lot less um, it, it messes your brush, brushes up a lot less shall I say to use the the dawn the, the dawn yellow instead of the under hive ash so yeah. some of them have got under hive ash on the base some of them have got the the dawn yellow but it all looks the same color it's essentially it's the the astro granite is like a like a it's not a concrete color it's more of a like a kind of a it's not granite and it's not concrete. It's about halfway between. Yeah. So it's sort of it's still a dark grey, like a oil-stained concrete, shall we say? And yeah. then the underhive ash over the top of that, because the idea is that the um, these guys have been out in the wastes, or the the idea of the basing is that it's um, solidified ash that has like a sulphurous. Um, layer to it so it's it's supposed to look like pollutant ash so like these guys so if if these guys are mutated um or any of them are going to get mutations it's like is it because of their their who they're following or is it because of the toxic environment that they are you know they're they're, they're living in essentially they're inhabiting nice that sounds awesome thank you um i'm hoping that it that it works I mean, I'm pretty happy with it. They're probably my best painted gang so far, but that's because I forced myself to learn new, um, new styles and new new painting techniques. Yeah. So, how how many models are we talking here so uh, far? At the moment, um, the gang in the campaign is eleven. Make that twelve because we've just recruited um, a new deacon with a pair of chain axes. Oh, of course you have. I mean, yeah. why not? <laughs> I'm just painting her up at the moment. She's made out of one of the jackals with some um, redemptionist parts um, and some battle sister parts. Cool. So she's using one of the jackals that is sort of swinging their weapon forward while their second weapon in their other hand is held backwards behind them like it's on an off swing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've given her one of the, like a crown of... Um, like a brazier type spike thing whatever yeah. you want to call it that comes off of one of the redemptionist guys um, so but it's the it's it's the one of the redemptionist guys it's as close as I could get to the chaos star without it actually being a chaos star yeah. to just give it that kind of are they chaos are they not kind of look 
Yeah. Um, and then I've used the one of the redemptionists. His hood has like a load of like ribbons coming off of it, shall we say? And I've cut a couple of those off and glued them to her wrists um, to give like sort of if she's on the backswing, the ribbons pointing away from the direction of swing. Yeah. On on both of them, so, so it gives, gives it a feel of movement. Yeah. yeah, 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 and I think that that's starting to work. And I've also stuck one of the books of the redemption onto her waist, because um, again, that's going to tie into the background theme um, for the gang. I've got sort of twelve models in the gang at the minute, but I've got a lot more that are painted and available to use in the gang should I need to. Although I probably, if I'm going to recruit more guys, I'll probably just build and paint more guys. Because uh, with me using all the different kits, I've got loads of spares. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's all just a good excuse, isn't it? To oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> As if we I'm... need more excuses. Well, yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got two buckets full of sprues here, and whenever I need to, whenever I get an idea or, or somebody says, oh, you know, can, wouldn't it be good if we had this model or, or somebody to count as this you know, dramatic persona. The next time we have a gaming session together, I'm like, "Give me a week, I'll have one," and yeah. I'll just raid my bits box, build something, quickly paint it, and then you know, take it down to uh, to the next the next session. Awesome. Mm. I'm a glutton for punishment. Oh, you know, it's all <laughs> fun, isn't it? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So we've skirted around the background for long enough, I reckon. Yes, so I think we have. Hit me with it. Hit right. Me with it. What are you doing? So <laughs> this is going to come as no surprise to some people, but um, for those who you know, my, my friends and the guys in the community that really know me as an as the idiot that I am, I have a a big love of of, of marine life, sea life, that kind of thing, um, and another big love of existential horror. That's a nice combination right there. Some of you, have, or some people, have already twigged where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, so smash those two together in some horrible train wreck and you get the works of H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos. Um, I have always been a big fan of the Cthulhu Mythos. Um, not so much a fan of H.P. Lovecraft, you know, with him being a, a bigot and a racist. We try not to uh, talk about him. But the Mythos itself, um, he may have created it, but, you know, there's a, a lot of talented writers out there that have taken this idea and run with it and it's become something bigger than its than its creator could have imagined I think and you know he can be resigned to history where he belongs and uh, and we'll take the cool stuff forward the big nasty sea monsters yeah absolutely one of the um, one of the elder gods or one of the the parts of the Cthulhu mythos is Hasta also known as the king in yellow um, anybody who's seen the first season of True Detective might recognise that name um, or um, anybody who's read some of the 40k novels will know that there is a yellow king in the 40k law already but spoilers aside I'm not going to spoil it for anybody who doesn't know who that is that aspect of it is irrelevant to Necromunda it's not linked to Necromunda in any way so I'm forgetting that that's a thing and I'm just going my own way with that one so the gang is tied to the the story by Robert Chambers the original story the king in yellow um so essentially the the idea of that is that there is a uh, a book which is like a play called the king in yellow and anybody who um sees this play performed goes insane and it's sort of like this existential dread that this king in yellow is a is a real thing and 
a, a nasty monster that's going to come along and end the world or whatever. So my um, my gang, my cultists are um, followers of um, the Yellow King, but in the same way that Gene Stealer cultists are followers of the Tyranids. They don't know who the King in Yellow is. They they think he's some sort of angelic savior or aspect of the God Emperor, but in actual fact he's some chaos nasty that's uh, that's hoping to destroy necromunda and everybody that lives on it nice so these guys are sort of a random cult of scummers who've been um suckered in by a by this this prophet of the yellow king um called casilda who is um a character from the novel the king in yellow or the, the story the king in yellow so casilda in my background she may or she may not be a chaos witch we don't know so these guys may or may not be chaos cultists. Again, we don't know. Um, the the king in yellow may be a chaos god. He may not be. But the only way people are going to find out is probably not going to live very long afterwards when they do. Right. So the idea is that these guys are trying to reach the, the holy land, the, the the lost city of Carcosa, which is where the uh, the king in yellow lives in the uh, in the book. They think it's some sort of promised land. Um, but they don't realise that it's probably not the idea of the of the torment um, that's acting as the uh, the redemption redemptor priest that's leading the uh, the gang is one of the torment models is sort of like um, uh, I, think it's a, I think it's supposed to be like a female uh, cultist who's basically had this demon semi burst out of her and it's got sort of like one massive bat wing coming out of it and the other wing is sort of like stimmied and not quite it like it's like a vestigial wing so it's not fully grown yeah so these guys see this monster and they have no sanity because they see this monster and they think that it is the one-winged angel of the king in yellow they see it as something truly angelic um and they don't realize that they're going down a very dark path that they probably won't survive that's so dark and so grim and so awesome that's cool it is what uh, what the Cthulhu mythos is all about absolutely existential horror in terms of well how are they going to play on the table how how do you want them to play on the table um the same way that I play a lot of my other gangs which is I'll stick to a theme and I'll play to that theme so I don't go, oh, what would be the most tactically advantageous thing that I could do in this situation? I'm just like, is this guy a nutter who would throw himself into a fight he cannot win? Yes. So, let's do it. And, yeah. you know, most of the time, the, the said nutter gets, you know, ground into a pulp by some big nasty um, hero or, or leader of, of some other gang that just laughs at them as they cut them down like they weren't even there. But occasionally, against all odds, yeah. the raving nutter wins. And, and they're always the most memorable games as well. Exactly, exactly. So, like, assume you are going to lose. Yeah. Um, and if you don't, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. For example, everybody says that two-handed axes are crap. Well, in Dark Uprising you get a your settlements because obviously Dark Uprising limits what you have access to. There's no trading post, there's no black market. You've just got your house list and that's it. Because it's the idea is that you are stuck in the underhive of a 
uh, a hive that's falling to chaos, that's having an uprising. So immediately, all the doors get shut, and the the people at the top of the spire go, "Yeah, now nah, you can you can be left to your own devices, and if you kill each if you kill everybody, you know, if you all die, tough kind of thing." So the settlements in Dark Uprising generate um, new jubes uh, on a I think it's a it's either a three plus or a four plus, which is a lot better than it is in the Dominion campaign. So you get jubes out of the wazoo, basically. Um, as it turned out in the uh, in in the campaign, everybody got randomly generated territories as per the campaign rules. Mm-hmm. I ended up with two settlements. So every week I'm rolling twice to see if I get free jubes, and yeah. I've had at least one jube every week so far. So. When jubes are recruited in Dark Uprising, they get 25 credits worth of gear. Yeah. That's what they come with. And lo and behold, the two-handed axe is 25 credits. So every time I'm hiring them, I'm just giving them two-handed axes. Um, awesome. And they are kind of awful weapons because, they are, because they're because they so unwieldy. They are minus one to hit Yeah, when you're engaged. So like the majority of jubes hit on fives. Yeah. So it'd be like sixes to hit, which is why people think two-handed axes are a bit crap. Yeah. Um, redemptionist jubes hit on fours. Oh. So, you know, you charge in, you only get two attacks, fine. But chances are you might roll a, f- you know, with the minus one, you've rolled in fives to hit. You yeah. might roll one five, which is fine. There's no AP on it, there's no armor penetration on it, which makes no sense to me at all, because a two handed axe, a massive axe, you would think would have armor penetration, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. But if you manage to wound and get through their armor, it's a damage two weapon. So you're rolling two injury dice against most average gangers. So, so far, these nutters, I've, I've just been throwing them into people. If they die, I don't care. They were free. Yeah. You know, I literally don't care. Well, so, like, I guess if, you, if you've if you got half a dozen of these dudes rocking around with these two-handed axes, by the law of averages, you're going to start doing some damage oh, God, yeah. at some point. Oh, God, yeah. Um, well, the, the first game that, uh, that I used... Uh, one of them in. I was against Enforcers. Um, insanity was in effect, so one of the Enforcers shot one of his mates in the back because he was insane and took a flesh wound off of him. So he'd only got two flesh wounds left before he's taken out of action. Yeah. My crazy Jew running with his two-handed axe got one hit through, damage yeah. two, rolled two flesh wounds and took him out of action. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so my, uh, you know, the first time I used him, he's got no armor. He's got this axe that he can't hit the broadside of a barn with, you know, yeah. as uh, as the law of averages would say. And yet, his first combat, he just cuts a, cuts a guy in half. So, That's you know, so ne- cool. needless to say, you know, for his heroics, the uh, the cult rewarded him with some flak armor and some blasting charges. Awesome. So now you've got a dude rocking around with flak armor, blasting charges, and, and a two handed axe. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay. Black armor may only give you a six plus save, but against blast weapons, it gives you a five plus save. Five plus save right. Perfect guy to give the blast charges to. They scatter back. I mean, you can only throw them strength times two, so you can only throw them six inches. So chances are they'll scatter back onto him and blow him up. I yeah. don't care. He's a Jew. I'll just buy a new one. I mean, it's all entertainment as well. Exactly. Else, exactly. So. Exactly. It's like the first time I used. There's one of the tactics cards that Cordor have got access to. That's called. I think it's called Fire and Faith. And basically, your model, whatever model you act, you, you play it when you activate a model, that fighter um, immediately suffers from the effects of insanity and then throws an incendiary charge. Oh my god. 
even if they don't have an incendiary charge on their fighter card. Right. The first time I used that, he went mental and threw it like right into the middle of my own gang and set half my gang on fire. Ooh. But it was hilarious. You know, for my opponent, that was probably one of the best things that's happened in a, in a game of Necromunda. I, I then they were doing a jig. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, oh God, there's this horde of, of crazy nutters, crazy trash boys coming towards us. Oh, never mind, they're all on fire. Brilliant. That is Necromunda in a nutshell. I think I saw that you liked the uh, liked the message in our, in our group. Graham and I had a game a couple of weekends ago, and yeah. we had he had his Enforcer Sniper, and I had my Outcast dude with a long rifle, effectively my Sniper, both on high pieces of terrain, basically having a sniping duel. We couldn't... They did shit to each other for about four turns. I think half of the time they missed... When they did hit, they didn't wound. The knockbacks, nobody fell off of anything. It was just, it was absolutely <laughs> shocking. The number of ones re-rolled was horrific. Uh, it right. was so entertaining. Ball on enemy at the gates moment there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Oh, what a great film. Yeah, we were talking about that afterwards, actually, and I haven't seen that for years. I've seen oh, I just find it with some audio description on it. There's got to be, you know, there's got it's got to have audio description on uh, on like the Blu-ray or something like that on like one of the latest releases of it. So, in terms of plans for the future with your new gang, mm-hmm. uh, what direction do you want to take with it? <laughs> I'm going to regret asking that, aren't I? Yeah. So somebody <laughs> pointed out to me the other the other week. It was mentioned um, that suspenser harnesses are a thing. Now, what a suspenser harness does, I believe it's in either the Bad Zone Trading Post or the Black Market. I can't remember. But what it does is it it gives you one extra weapon slot on your model, on your fighter. So you go from being able to carry three weapons to being able to carry four. Yeah. You then take two suspensers, an eviscerator attached to one suspenser, and a heavy rock saw attached to the second suspenser. And what that does is it removes unwieldy from those two weapons. Yes. So that means they can be wielded one-handed. Yes. So the suspenser harness allows you to take both of these two-handed weapons, and the suspensers allow you to wield them one-handed each. So what you do is you take a Redemptionist Priest, give him the, that kit, you give him um, an Exterminator cartridge on whatever on the Eviscerator um um, oh, sorry, the eviscerator obviously comes with the, with, uh, the built-in flame. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So you take that, you give him a friends on collar, you give him a stim slug stash, um, and you give him, if you can, you give him a full servo harness, and you run him as a penitent engine. Yes. So and how many creds are we talking here? Several hundred, oh, I imagine. 790 I think he oh works out God. as well the guys on on the Gilders Ford podcast do a, a little section called the stack of whack which is yes. what ridiculous combinations you could get you yes. can put together using you know whatever to uh, to create this most insane of of guys and and you know as well as I do that um, my Goliath forge tyrant riding the shark is definitely a stack of whack candidate yes so I'll definitely say so <laughs> So, like, the idea was, can I make a Redemption Priest, which is not a particularly amazing close combat fighter, um, if you look at their stat line. Um, and can I make them into something ridiculous? 
And I've just brought my Yak Tribe um, entry up on my phone. So he's credits of 725 credits for one fighter. Okay, so he is movement 5, weapon skill 3 plus, ballistic skill 4 plus, strength 3, toughness 3, 2 runes, initiative 4 plus, 2 attacks, and then leadership 5 plus, cool 6 plus, will 4 plus, intelligence 7 plus. He's got a heavy rock saw which is plus one to hit in combat, strength plus three, making him strength six, damage two, AP minus three. And the eviscerator is strength plus one, damage one, AP minus one, but it has melee and sever. Um, For those who aren't familiar, if the attacks from that weapon would cause an injury dice to be rolled, um, that you don't roll the injury dice, you just take the model out of action. Because Sever just cuts them to pieces. So the war gear that he's got is an armored undersuit, two suspensors, a stim slug stash, um, uh, light carapace armor, suspensor harness, ablative overlay, scrap shield, friends on collar, and cherub servitor. So that gives him. Let me work this out. Um, light carapace armor, I believe, is a four plus save. Armored undersuit makes that a three plus save. Ablative overlay makes that a one plus save. Um, obviously for armor penetration purposes, a roll of one on armor save yeah. always fails, obviously, but he's got a one plus save. The first wound, or, or the first for the first attack he takes, the second attack, the ablative overlay is reduced to a two plus save, and then after that it's gone. Um, yeah. But, he's got devotional frenzy, which means he can never be coup de grade. Um And the cherub servitor has a four plus save. Um, it's an exotic pet. It, gives, it has a four plus save that can never be mod- modified by armor penetration. And uh, any hit that goes against the Redemptor Priest can be transferred over to the Chair Observator instead. So it's essentially like um, a bodyguard that has a 4 plus and vulnerable save. Yeah. So yeah, he's pretty nasty. I mean, granted, he's only strength 3, toughness 3, he will go down relatively easy, but the turn you pop that Stim Slug Stash, you are looking at movement 7. Um, strength 5 um, toughness 5 the strength 5 is obviously when you're using the heavy rock saw is boosted to strength 8 the eviscerator is boosted to strength 6 that's going to make a mess <laughs> yeah and that is much so. and that is basically um, I was some, I was looking at the penitent engine model and I'm like can I make this in Necromunda and the answer is I think yes yes I can so I'm going to chaos up the, uh, the the penitent engine model that I got with Imperium magazine, and I'm going to add that to my gang and potentially take them to some conferee just for the giggles. Well, I'll be avoiding you on the tables. No, I, won't. <laughs> I absolutely, I, I absolutely won't. I don't actually know what I'm taking um, this year. Uh, obviously, last year I took my Escher. Um, I won't be taking my Outcasts because. Um, I don't normally allow outcasts at some point. I'm, I'm going to keep poking Steve until he changes his mind about that, you know, because outcasts is probably, or the the book of the outcast is probably the best um, Necromunda supplement available. It's such a good list. Well, I, I, I don't want to give too much away because obviously we're going to talk about it in our <laughs> uh, new coming segment, but I, I've really been enjoying my um, my outcast gang. Outcasts uh, are so much fun. I've had with them. Yeah. Did you manage then, to have a look over the apocrypha that I sent over to you that had the um, the the expanded outcast rules for having the Gorvos twins as your leader and champion in an outcast? Yes, camp? the uh, 
the, 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 is the modified gunk tank scenario. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I have both of those models because they are fantastic. Um, and I have been working on an Outcast gang um, as my next project that uh, yeah. is based around those two because they're hilarious. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been enjoying it, but I, I will reveal more in our actual segment because I actually <laughs> we're, we're due on to the Some City Radio podcast for the next segment. So uh, that'll be interesting. It will indeed. That's awesome, mate. I'm really pleased you found a gang that you're much happier with and it sounds like an absolute owl in terms of your backstory how you're modeling them how they could be on the table i mean some of the insane flipping equipment you mentioned there as well i think that could be really really interesting and if you do end up taking them to Suncom, i think it's about time you and i had a one-to-one hell yeah Bring it Let's on. What Whatever happens. gang you decide to bring to some con, I will be more than happy to I, put them in the ground. I, 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 I will, I will divulge that nearer the time because I haven't got a clue at the moment. But yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, thinking it. I'm, I'm, do it. Yeah, I'm seriously thinking about taking a, a few gangs to be honest, and then just decided on the day what to what to run. But um, I, I do believe I will. Seeing as um, I, I believe the majority of the stuff that we'll be doing uh, down at some con. I think it might be wise for me to leave the shark at home this time and, and leave the let, let, let the Goliaths have a much needed rest in the display case. Yeah, their bruises uh, heal. Indeed. That was awesome, mate. Thank you so much for coming back on again. We're all now back up to speed with where you are with your gangs. And obviously we've got new scummers coming up on the three respective podcasts over the next few months. So keep your ears out for that, listeners. And uh, thanks ever so much, Dan. Speak to you soon. Thank you very much for having me back, mate. That's it for this episode. Thanks as always for listening. Don't forget to like and leave us a review. It really helps us get more listeners. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to get in touch, drop us an email at plus one to hit podcast at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you. So until next time... May the dice gods be with you.